want to welcome each of you here. This church, Grace Bible Fellowship, some of you already know, our main purpose for being in existence is to teach the exchange life in Christ. What actually happens to an individual when they're born again? There's a lot said about being born again, but not many people really understand exactly what takes place when you're born again. And so that is the mission of the church. We're glad that each of you are here. We praise God and we are thankful that, uh, that he has given us that responsibility to teach that message. My message this morning is making life work. Why is it that so many believers think that if they could do something or give something, that it would cause God to act favorable towards them. If we believe that our faith can cause God to do something, we are saying in essence that we know better than God. We are wiser than God. We know what is good. We know what we want. It's just having God get in there and do it. Now, the Pharisees, they were operating out of a system that said, I act and God responds mentality. But I wonder how many of us would sort of fall in line with what the Pharisees thought. How many of us really believe that that if we initiate, then somehow God will respond? You know, I had one lady said that, well, the, the Bible says that God gives us the desires of our heart. So whatever we desire, he will give it to us. So let me just go through a list of things and you answer it to yourself. I give 10% of my income and I read in the Bible, the windows of heaven will open and I will receive what? What will I receive? Everything that I need plus everything I desire, what will I receive? If you witness, you will receive a crown of jewels at the judgment, at the end of time. When I was an evangelist, a lady came up to me and she said to me, just think of all the crowns that you, all, this, all the jewels you'll have in your crowns, all the people that have come forward and so forth. And I said to her, well, ma'am, I said, I won't have any more than you will have. But she believes, and many of us believe, that we will receive jewels in our crown because we led somebody to Christ. Some people say that if you ask, pray, and ask God for the Holy Spirit, that you'll speak in tongues. Some people say that if I spend a long time in prayer, God will answer it. And some people say if I fast and then ask God, he'll see how sincere I am and he'll give me whatever I desire. 
If we are willing to sacrifice, give up something, God will then give us what we have been asking for. It's the idea that something I do to get God to move on my behalf, if I do something, if I do something, God will then go into action. That's the major attraction that we have today for the faith movement that says that I can cause God to do something because of my actions. But really, when you get down to it, it's nothing more than trying to sway or manipulate God into our way of thinking. You sacrifice, or you must be willing to sacrifice everything to find favor with God. The heresy in that is that we initiate and God responds. The faith that pleases God recognizes that there is no area in our life that God hasn't considered. He knows our past, he knows our present, and he knows our future. He is a God who loves us. He has initiated a unique plan for each one of our lives. When we respond to God and learn to walk by the Spirit, we will live contented, constructive lives. In the Old Testament, they mistakenly believed that the sacrifices actually paid for their blessings. I heard of a church not too long ago, and uh, <clears throat> they had unbelievable success. And they, this is what they said. The reason that God blesses their church is because of the pastor and the pastoral staff spend at least three to five hours in prayer every day. I also heard of a man who had a lot. He was blessed unbelievably so. And they interviewed him and he said that he believed that he was blessed with so much because he gives so much. In other words, if you want a lot, you give a lot. And that's sort of what the prosperity wealth gospel is today. The most powerful perspective, perspective is offered by, by Paul when he says in Philippians 4.11, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with, with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering needs. So here we have the Apostle Paul, who knew what it was to suffer. Now, that doesn't line up with what we hear on the Christian airwaves. Paul says that he had to learn to get along with humble means. He said that many times he even went hungry and suffered needs. 
And this is all in the context of this text. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this text has been pulled out of context so many times. Paul is not talking about accomplishing magnificent things for God. No, all things means all circumstances, including experience of hunger and poverty. I don't know how many of you have ever thought in your Christian experience, you know, one day you wake up and you just say, you know, I just wish I could get closer to God. And sometimes we, we think, well, if I read the Bible more, if I have more quiet time, if I do these things more, that's going to happen. I'm going to be, I'll, I'll draw closer to God. Or perhaps you've read this text, James 4, 8, where the Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, the tragedy is, when somebody reads this, they sort of identify with it because they look at themselves as sinners. They don't see themselves as saints who occasionally sin. They see themselves as wretched. They look at their life and they think to themselves, boy, there's nothing good in me. And then so they read, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And some of you who have listened to me, you go, what? What? You're always saying that God initiates and we respond. But according to this text, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It seems like we have to initiate and then God responds. But let's look at it. Let's Look at what the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 6, 17. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. So closeness with God is a result of God reaching down, raising, up, raising us into newness of life, and placing us in Christ at God's right hand. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, the Bible says... But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, the Bible doesn't get any clearer than this. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. In other words, he came to you. He initiated. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. So he came to you, you responded, and it was by his doing. By his doing, he appealed to you, and you said yes to Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.6, And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Closeness to God is a gift it's not something you work up to. It's not something you have to determine, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study an hour a day. I'm going to pray an hour a day. I did all those things. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Those things do not work. Closeness to God is a gift, and you receive that gift the moment you said yes to Christ. 
The Bible says that you have received everything pertaining to life and godliness at that moment. At that moment, when you asked Christ to come into your life, you were complete. Now, did you feel complete? No. Did you act complete? No. Are you complete? Yes. You have everything that God wants you to have. Most of us, most Christians, they don't understand what they have. They don't understand that they are complete in Christ. They don't believe that they are perfect forever, as Hebrews says. They don't believe it. They want to believe it, but they don't believe it because of what goes through their minds here. All these, all these bad thoughts, evil thoughts that come through their mind, they are convinced that there's something wrong with them. But we know that at our core, when we received Christ and he took out that stony heart, gave us that new heart, gave us a new human spirit, the Bible says, we know that we are rock solid here at the heart. Now, Colossians 1.27 says this, To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You notice that Paul says it's a mystery. And that's why people have such a difficult time with it. They, they, they wonder, well, what is this whole thing about Christ living in me? It's a mystery, the Bible says. It's a mystery. But we who have experienced it, we know that it's true. Because at our deepest core, we want what God wants from us. So what does it mean to draw near to God? You know, the Bible is very plain. It says here that Peter, excuse me, that Paul, he was addressing when he said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I should say James here is speaking to sinners, not saints. He says he is speaking to a Jewish audience who is double-minded. Now, what does double-minded mean to you? Is it just a state of confusion? Well, when James wrote that, he says that, that the real struggle is going through the Jewish mind was, is Jesus Christ? Is he really the Messiah? There's others who claimed that they were the Messiah and it didn't turn out to be. And so here these Jewish people were thinking, is he really the Messiah? Or is he just a prophet? Or... Is he crazy? I mean, had to be one of the three. What was he? And so they were double-minded, and that's what they were struggling with. James referred to them as sinners, and what they needed was purified hearts. So if they needed a purified heart, what were they? They were unbelievers. He's not talking to believers. He's talking to unbelievers. All believers, it doesn't make any difference where they are, if they've accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, all believers have Christ dwelling in them. And the Bible indicates that we are permanently bonded to Christ. Closeness to God is a gift. 
It's not something that is progressive that we work up. In other words, I know the feelings, but in other words, this year, we don't get closer than we were last year. We might have a better understanding of Christ this year than we did last year, but we don't get closer. How can you get any closer? Christ lives in you. You can't get any closer than that. He, he occupies your life through the Holy Spirit. So, the Bible says to us in Romans 12, 2, it says this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So what is, what is the Bible telling us? We are growing in the knowledge we're growing in that knowledge of Jesus Christ. Our understanding is improving. That's why we come to church. We come to church so, we can f so that we can discover who we are, who God is, and everything that pertains to us living the Christian life. That's why we come to church. I mean, we come for fellowship, yes, and, it's, and that is wonderful. But we come to church to discover who we really are in Christ, who the Bible says we are, who the Bible says Christ is to us. So we are improving. Hopefully every year that goes by, we are improving. But as far as a, a code of ethics that uh, governs us, no. You are not controlled by an external code of ethics. You have Christ living in you. That's the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. It seems today, no matter what religion there is around the world, there is a code of ethics. What is right? What is wrong? And um, I don't know about you all, but... I can remember years ago when I first became a Christian, there was a different code of, ex, uh, of ethics than there is today. I remember preachers warning people in the early 60s, warning people about television, movies, dancing, all these sorts of things. They would tell you that you're in the devil's playground and and you better be careful because what comes into this mind of yours. Um, and they had a point. They actually, they did have a good point. Because the problem is, is what we, all these things that come into our mind. I like what uh, this one uh, preacher discovered as certain highways of, of things that come into our mind. They make grooves, they make patterns of our life. And that's what we struggle with. And as Christians, though, we possess the life of Christ. In Ephesians 1.18, the Bible says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart, now listen to this, because you know how often I use the, whole, the example of Ezekiel 36.26, but I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, 
What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? I believe that many, many Christians are obsessed about avoidance of evil. They become obsessed with it. And last week we looked at, the last couple of weeks we've looked at uh, Galatians 5. And I'm going to go through Galatians 5, 16 and 17 once again. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, I want you to notice the struggle here. The Bible says here, for the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. So where is the conflict here? It's the flesh and the Spirit. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Now, I don't know what you're thinking when you read that text. But let me ask you something. Does this mean that the Holy Spirit is keeping us from committing the sins we truly desire to commit? Is this what we believe? The question that we need to ask ourselves is, do we want what God wants? If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and obviously everyone here has, otherwise you wouldn't be in church. So every one of us we do want what God wants. Deep down in our core, we want what God wants. Now, do we believe that God took out that heart of stone, like it says in Ezekiel, and gave us a new heart, and gave us a new human spirit? Do we actually believe that? If we believe the word of God, yes, we do believe that. Do we believe that God, do we actually believe that our obedience comes from the heart? Is that where our obedience comes from? Or does it come some, from some rules and regulations and, and doctrines? Is that where it comes from? Now remember one thing, that the flesh are those old worldly ways of thinking and acting. Those are the ways that we relied on before we made our commitment to Christ. That's the only thing that we knew. That's how we survived. Every one of us have survived somehow by relying on, those, uh, on the flesh. Until we found Christ, the difference now is that we are a child of God. Before, it's all we knew of how to make life work. But now that we are a child of God, we are a new creation. We are experiencing the renewing of the mind. When we pick up our Bible and read our Bible, that's what we're experiencing. God is bringing conviction upon us. It is the renewing of the mind. Every time that we hear that God loves us, it's the renewing of our mind. The way, we remove, the way that we actually 
have this renewing of the mind is to find out from Scripture who God says we are. You are a child of God. Do you act like it all the time? No, probably not. Do you feel it? Probably not at times. This whole world comes at us sometimes. And sometimes it, it, it throws us. Sometimes we get discouraged, we get despondent. I mean, this world is not an easy world to live in. And when that world comes at us, that's when we renew our minds. That's when we start thinking about who we are in Christ. No, I'm a child of God. God has welcomed me into his family. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He's with me to the very end. He's going to go through the issues that I find in life. He's going to go through it with me. The Holy Spirit's going to encourage me. The Holy Spirit is, yes, there's times that we're going to listen to our flesh. That's true. And when we do, we're going to feel bad that we did. But I'll tell you one thing, as a child of God, you're going to find out the flesh is a common enemy that we share with God. And look what happens. We are, we, the facts are that we truly want to do the things of the Spirit. In fact, that is our destiny. Our destiny is to live just exactly the way God wants us to live. That's why the, re the Bible says, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. There's a truth here about the flesh. It will never be entirely free. None of us will ever be entirely free of fleshly thinking on this side of heaven. Remember, the flesh is not our spiritual nature. It is not who we are. It is just that old worldly ways of thinking, trying to make life work. As believers, we can try to make sin work. And I venture to say that every one of, every one of us have tried. But we try, we can try to justify sin, we can condone sin, we can try that. But if we're in the spirit, choosing sin will always drive us towards a lack of fulfillment. We'll never be fulfilled when we sin. In 1 Peter 2.11, the Bible says this, Beloved, I urge you, he says, I urge you as aliens and strangers to obtain, abstain from the fleshly lusts that wage war against the soul. When we choose to set our minds on the flesh, we are going against our identity. It's against who we are. We are changed people. We're not the same as we were before. Everything has changed. And here's the bottom line in Romans 6.14. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And notice what Titus tells us. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Now most Christians stop there. But notice from verse 12, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires 
and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. The truth is that it is God's grace that keeps us from sinning. It's a theological fact. The scripture plainly states that it's God's love and it's God's grace that teach us to say no to sin. Now, God must be the source of our godliness. We are not the source of our godliness. We do not make it happen. God is the source of our godliness. And it doesn't come from trying, but it comes from resting in Christ. Godliness is our attitude and our actions. That's what godliness is all about. It's coming to the realization that God is an awesome God, that God is a loving God. God. Godliness is not the consequences of your capacity to imitate God. That's not the way it works. But it's the consequences of his capacity to reproduce himself in you, Christ in you, living in you and through you. It is your inherent right to choose that enables you to enter into a unique relationship with Christ. Every promise that God initiates in his word is for us to take and trust in. Every promise. The Christian life is not to be lived through self-effort. Obedience to the law will never do it, will never satisfy it but by faith as the Spirit of God leads us internally. This idea that we need a set of rules and regulations and principles and everything to lead us and guide us is denying that Christ lives in us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. He, he is everything. He's the one that directs our life. He's the one that 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 explains to us in a very simple way. Walk in the Spirit. Choose life. Not death. Choose life. Faith in Christ that first saved us is the same faith by which we will grow. The renewing of the Spirit. You know, sometimes I think that every born-again Christian, when I was an evangelist and I would see people come forward, I would say to myself, here, these people have hit the lottery. These people have found life. They were dead in their transgressions and now they've found life. If they only, I used to think that, if they only could realize what they actually have, what by coming forward, giving their life to Christ, what it really means. At that time, I did not understand this whole, this whole exchange life in Christ. I didn't know that when you gave your life to Christ, you actually exchanged your life. You were dead in your transgressions. Christ made you alive to life. And he's giving you a whole new life. Most of us, it took me over 15 years in the ministry to understand it. I didn't understand it for 15 years. And then I found the truth. I found in Ezekiel where God opened, gave, did that surgery on me when I gave my life to Christ. And I didn't know it for 15 years. 
And here he gave, he took out that old stony heart of mine and gave me a new heart, then gave me a new human spirit. I could start all over. I was born again. I mean, it's the most powerful message that we have in all scripture, that we can be born again, start night a life anew. When we respond to God and learn to walk in the spirit, we will find true meaning of life. When we get used to saying, yes, Lord, or I am dead to that, I know that I am dead to that, and I'm alive to Christ. It used to be that the law was our tutor. And now the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is our tutor. We can trust the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to persuade us. Now, I know that there are some people who throw stones at the message of grace and the exchange life in Christ. I know that. They say, you preach too much grace. And some say that the way you preach it, people will misuse it. And people kind of go off on their own and, and do their own thing, knowing that they are forgiven forever. Knowing that, that God not only forgives you, but he forgets your sins the moment that it's committed. He forgets it. He has set you free. And I think when I hear all the criticism, I think they just don't understand. They just don't understand what took place when they asked Christ to come into their life. And sometimes it takes us a lifetime to learn and to understand who we are in Christ, that we are his child and always will be. We are permanently bonded to Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. We are secure. We are rock solid. We are everything that God wants us to be. It all starts with knowing who you are. If you're confused about knowing who you are, you're going to act confused. You'll be high one day, down the next, up and down all the time. But when you are firmly convinced that you are a child of God and God loves you just the way you are, you're going to fall in love with him. You're going to fall in love with him. He's not asking you to change. He's saying, I will change you. I will recreate you into my image if you allow me to. And you've heard me say many times, that we wake up in the morning some of us say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will be glad and rejoice in it. And then we say, Lord, I give you permission to live your life through me today. Everyone who I talk to, I want you to talk through me. Everything that I do, I want you to do through me. I give you permission. I want you to do it. And he will do it. God is the initiator. We are the responder. It never works the other way around. Never, ever shall we pray. 
Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful. We praise you. We're thankful for all that you are doing, all that you want to do through us. We are thankful of your willingness to recreate us into your image. And so each one of us here this, this morning, we give you permission, Lord. We give you permission to live your life through us. And Lord, we will praise you throughout eternity. We thank you for the gift that you have given to us, this gift of closeness. We're thankful for that. The gift of righteousness, we're thankful for that. We're thankful for all that you are doing, and we praise you for it. Now I pray that you, you will meet the needs that every one of us have here. If there is someone here, Lord, that has never given their life to Christ, we pray that just where they're at, just right now, that they will say yes to you, yes. Sometimes I know when I did it, I was confused, Lord, and didn't know exactly what I expected, but I just want to thank you for the opportunity that you've given every one of us to say yes to you. Bless us now. Help us to have a wonderful day, for we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.